The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. The Dow notches a fresh closing high while the S&P is a whisker off its own record peak as Wall Street looks to extend an eight-week winning streak. The New York Times sues Microsoft and OpenAI, seeking billions of dollars in damages for alleged copyright infringement. Now, watch this. Apple scoring a major victory after U.S. appeals court pauses a government import ban on two of its watches amid a patent dispute with medtech firm Massimo. And the UK government fuels speculation around the timing of next year's election, confirming the spring budget on March the 6th. We might be past Christmas, but still, that Santa rally just keeps on going on, doesn't it? I mean, we've just seen gains, even if it is marginal, still continuing what is uh, a generally buoyant mood towards the close-off uh, of this year. Yes, volume's thinner, but certainly still some uptick in a lot of these. The Dow Jones seeing another record high there. The S&P 500 still moving towards that figure, 4,790, pretty much the mark that we are looking towards. Up around six points then yesterday, so still managing to find some gains. A fourth day out of five of positivity then. Uh, in fact, a fourth straight positive session for the S&P, the Nasdaq, even the Russell 2K and the Nasdaq 100 are managing to gain for what is a fourth positive day in a row. So good gains there. All three of these major indices enjoying eight weeks of gains and it looks to be headed in a similar direction as well. Out in Asia then, let's quickly check in on that market right now. Scaling five-month peaks for a lot of this market picture really. I think the wages really are still uh, perhaps rising somewhat, that we are going to see deep cuts in interest rates heading into next year. Of course, the confirmation of that will still come from the Fed, and they still kind of set the uh, mood then and the tone of things. The Hang Seng Index going up around 2.5%. Of course, we're still looking at that gaming industry uh, and how things have fared there with Chinese authorities having said that they'll consider all uh, aspects and uh, really take in a lot of consideration when it comes to the ban then on how much gaming kind of happens in the country as well as the spending thereof. So that tech situation is one we'll look out for. Two and a half percent higher for the Hang Seng uh, Index. Shanghai Composite in China moving up one and a half percent this morning. Onto the Forex market then. This has seen a little bit of uh, movement then. The dollar seems to be nursing a few losses as well then, having hit some of those yesterday, some steep losses. In fact, it's even heading for a yearly decline. The dollar index itself could be going down 2.6% this year, snapping what has been two straight years uh, of a positive strong gains then. In Europe as well, we've been kind of looking at the likes of the uh, Swiss franc, which has actually perched up at a nine-year peak, which I thought would be interesting to note. Uh, the euros at a five-month high on expectations that 2024 will see those deep interest rate cuts. For now then, we are seeing, as, as you can tell, some weakness in the dollar, as I've been noting then. And against the dollar-yen, we're now back to that 140 mark, which has, of course, been a key interesting mark to kind of look out for for the market. The market pricing in a 165 uh, basis point cut in interest rates then out of Europe. So the ECB will be one to look out for next year too.
Speaking of the ECB, here's your European futures then. This is where we're called uh, for this morning, around a quarter of a percent higher than across a lot of the European market. Yesterday, we saw uh, some gains in some parts of this market as well. So will that picture continue then as we saw uh, some also take a bit of a dip? U.S. futures then as well, having seen those gains then yesterday for what was that fourth positive session in a row. We look to be headed a little bit higher as well. 10 points for the S&P 500. That 10 points would take it past that figure then that we have been looking towards, that record high inching towards that number. Karen. Let's see whether that Santa Claus rally does continue today. Energy, tech and industrials are the top three best performing S&P 500 sectors since the index hit its last record high in January 2022. Energy is up more than 50% in that period. In con contrast, rather, the worst performing S&P 500 sectors are utilities, consumer discretionary and real estate all down by more than 10%. Fawaz Chowdhury joins us now, Head of Equities of Fulcrum Asset Management. Interesting stats we are just talking about because you have to go right back to the beginning of uh, 2022. Very different to the beginning of 2023, right? <laughs> in terms right. of what's been a big performer and what hasn't been. The magnificent seven really carrying the market forward. Is there more appetite, do you think, for those stocks in 2024? I believe the magnificent seven, all of them are fast-performing, grow-high-growth businesses, and the recent um, Fed pivot leading towards a decline in interest rates, U.S. 30 years now below 4%, um, 10-year real rates are coming down fast, <laughs> yesterday a big bond rally, it's going to feed into higher valuations, uh, re-rating, and the businesses which are growth-oriented are the ones which generally tend to benefit the most from dropping in rates in terms of re-rating. More questions here, I think, around the Magnificent Seven. We come up to next year, and obviously the Fed's going to be all important, whether there's more of a nudge forward thanks to the, the monetary policy re-rating. That's a big question, right? Mm -hmm. The other point as we uh, progress throughout 2024 is that it's a presidential year. And if there's going to be a bumpy old ride to the ballot box, does that mean the market and investors refocus on the thematics? And one of the big thematics, of course, has been AI disruption still. Mm -hmm. yes. So how do we think about all of the seven stocks, do they all rally uh, from here? Do just a number of them rally? And is there a general tone where the backdrop around the election is supportive? Yeah, AI has been a big theme for the year. Uh, and AI investment is on a tear, actually. All of them are investing heavily. So clearly the picks and shovels kind of guys like NVIDIA is in the Magnificent Seven, other, other num names who create provide the tools for AI are not necessarily in them. But clearly that spending will continue uh, towards AI. And the, in terms of who will benefit the most, uh, the guys who will take those services to the customer, Microsoft is launching, let's see their new uh, chat bot, <laughs> analyst bot that is going to come and other services are going to come, Azure and GCP, Google Cloud Platform, they will obviously benefit. Some other guys, Tesla and others, for AI, I'm not sure we'll see whether we're ready yet for, um, autonomous driving, etc. But uh, for others, it may not be as, as beneficial. It's more hype for some, definitely. NVIDIA, obviously, the, in the forefront for benefiting from AI spend. Yeah, I want to go back to to that graph, if, if, I, if I could as well, then, for us, that we kind of had up with regards to the stocks that have gained then uh, um, over the last two years and, and, and really lost as well over the last mm -hmm. two years. And I want to go to that, that worst segment. When you talk the likes of real estate, the likes of consumer discretionary, I mean, with rates possibly going down then into next year, do you see those perhaps picking up then as well? Are those the unloved stocks that you perhaps get into as well for 2024? 
Yeah, certainly, utilities and discretionary consumer disc uh, utilities and real estate are very interest rate sensitive yeah. sectors, and uh, they have gotten hurt since the start of 22. As you said, last two years there've been a huge increase in rates. Obviously, last two months we've seen a decline, and it takes a while to feed through. Um, actually, U.S. utilities have uh, not performed as well as you would have thought with the decline in interest rates in this month and the previous month, and some of the recent rate reviews in US a five year regulatory reviews have not increased have actually disappointed in terms of upping the allowed rate of return but yes uh, we think real estate in particular is set to benefit um, and um, it is a, a sector where we should see now demand pick up uh, replacement cost for assets is higher for buildings infrastructure etc and uh, where we are very interested, we are actually uh, um, now increasing our exposure to real estate. Yeah. So, but that doesn't mean you're transitioning out of the big players, right? You're you're pretty much just adding these sort of unloved stocks and and really being kind of specific, I, I suppose, in that market. So, I guess yeah. not big gains though going into 2024 either. Because we we just mentioned Magnificent Seven potentially benefiting in terms of multiples yeah. uh, with interest rate, but then there are interest rate specific sensitive sectors which have underperformed, as you just showed. Yeah. So you obviously are naturally gravitating towards those sectors which are not valuation challenged, like utilities and real estate, which are also interest rate sensitive. So rather go towards those than some of the big cap tech, which might be fully valued. Yeah. Can we bring up timing? I mean, often for, for many years we'll talk about it's very hard to time the market. Yeah. That exactly is what market participants are trying to do is they yeah. judge when the Fed's going to be cutting. Yeah. Goldman Sachs put out a note, and this is just extraordinary. This is the investment bank that effectively was saying the final quarter of next year is when we would see the rate cuts. They're now saying we expect three consecutive 25 basis point cuts in March. I mean, this is the, the very dovish camp now. March, May and June, followed by one more cut per quarter until the funds, uh, Fed funds rate reaches three and a quarter to three and a half percent by 2025 uh, third quarter. So that is very aggressive now. And they're saying that effectively uh, the rapid decline in inflation is likely to lead the Fed to cut early and fast. Do you see that happening? Is March the timing we're thinking about the kickoff? The market certainly is starting to price in quite aggressively. The rate cuts 140, something like six cuts now almost priced in next year. Um, and as you mentioned, Goldman's uh, forecast is very aggressive starting in March. Um, certainly core PC is declining. This is the their preferred metric. Uh, they probably had this in the data which was announced on December 21st and the previous November data came out December 21st and the October one was revised down. Probably the Fed had the data or some inkling of that when they made the pivot. And we, core PC is going to continue to fall because we are seeing it come through in the number of price points. I, I do think there's a danger that there's, um, that too much is getting priced in. And um, at the moment, the only way we could see a faster deceleration as the economy slows down very significantly, which we're not really seeing. Consumer is, is quite healthy. So usually if you look at prior soft landings where the landing was nailed, like 95 or even 2019, you did not get these kind of cuts. So maybe we, we might be overshooting it a bit in terms of how many cuts we get before the Fed stops. So I think I would push back towards that kind of aggressiveness in terms of how many cuts are getting priced. And we'll see if the coming data in the coming months is going to support that. We think rents could potentially accelerate. I mean, if we talk about real estate picking up again and last U.S. house prices have been up last seven months in a row. 
So if that leads to rents picking up again, which is a core part of services, we could start seeing some maybe the a stabilization on the fall and disinflationary forces and maybe an increase again. Yeah, maybe if I can maybe close, I mean, ask about just Asia as well, then if we can go to that market sure. a little bit as well. I mean, we, we see some, some gains towards the end of the year, but really, it's, it really has been that Hang Seng that's really kind of gone up uh, in, in some aspects as well. We're seeing that as well. How much, how much worry do you put perhaps on that gaming sector, that tech sector, likes of Microsoft may not necessarily be out the woods here. Yeah, uh, gaming sector in Asia, as you mentioned, right, like, so the recent announcement which hit uh, uh, NetEase and uh, Tencent, um, these are government regulatory moves. They've, they, they did that a few years ago as well. And I would say that the, the Chinese tech sector is still not loved by the, by, the, by the government yet, and they don't necessarily see this, uh, these activities, these services necessarily as a vehicle for growth. They would rather be producing cars, exporting them. They would rather be producing solar panels, exporting them. So they want to limit time the kids spend on, on uh, computer games. And I think uh, they're, they're kind of missing a trick because services can be exported as well. And uh, they're instead of um, harnessing their champions, uh, software champions in terms of Tencent and Netties and allowing them to export software in terms of games, they're not really necessarily doing that. So, um, but China has uh, still been uh, been an area of concern and uh, housing sector is still slowing. and. Uh, the Chinese consumer is starting to slow quite rapidly now as they see their net wealth, which is tied to the housing, uh, diminish. So we are concerned that the Chinese consumer is actually quite weak. So that's our main area of concern. Yeah. For us, really appreciate it. I mean, how many points are we giving away this time for, for somebody that comes in studio at this time of the year? I mean, that's, that's really massive. Must be double, right? Yeah. yeah. Fawaz, appreciate it. Right. Thank you so much, man. Fawaz so <laughs> Chaudhry is the head of equities then at Fulcrum Asset Management. Now, coming up on the show, OpenAI and Microsoft face a copyright lawsuit from the New York Times. We'll have all the details next. Plus, could there be more deals on the deck in 2024? We'll break down the outlook for M&A when Squawkbox returns. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Now, Apple will be able to sell its latest watch models again in the U.S. after an appeals court temporarily halted an import ban on the products. Apple says it has submitted redesigned models for customs approval that could avoid the ban. It came into place after an International Trade Commission order found the blood oxygen sensor in the devices infringed on intellectual property from medical technology company Massimo. The New York Times has sued ChatGPT maker OpenAI and Microsoft, accusing the companies of copyright infringement and abusing the newspaper's intellectual property. The New York Times says the two companies built their business models on mass copyright infringement. In a statement, OpenAI said it respects the rights of content owners, describing the company's discussions with the New York Times as productive. 
After a disappointing 12 months of IPOs in 2022, hopes were high for a rebound this year. But market volatility triggered by high interest rates stored many potential listings. Bob Pisani has been looking at what we can expect for the year ahead. Another year, another lousy IPO market. For the second year in a row, the IPO market closing with a whimper, not a bang. So far, 160 IPOs have raised $19.4 billion in 2023. That's following the worst year ever for IPOs in 2022, when a measly $7.7 billion was raised. To give you an idea, a normal year, we should see about $50 billion raised. So $20 billion is a terrible year. With the S&P up nearly 20% this year, you'd expect to see a flurry of IPO activity at the end of the year. But there's been no significant IPO launches since Birkenstock went public in October. You can't blame it on the holidays. Plenty of companies have gone public around Thanksgiving and Christmas. In fact, November, December period is historically proven to be a good year when you have a lot of IPOs. We had Rivian, Allbirds, Sweetgreen, they all went public in November of 2021. Airbnb, DoorDash went to market December of 2020. For a good part of the year, the excuse was, well, interest rates are going up. The market's too volatile. And they've had a terrible aftermarket performance of the IPOs that did go public. But all that changed in November. The stock market's been rallying. Interest rates have been going down. And the aftermarket performance of IPOs has greatly improved towards the end of the year. Unfortunately, this November rally ended up being too little too late to save the IPO market. Many IPO candidates had already decided the markets were too volatile back in early November. And they lost confidence after a relatively poor September showing from names like Birkenstock and Instacart and Arm. Now, there's plenty of potential candidates in the pipeline for 2024. Some like the the social forum network Reddit, uh, the payments firm Stripe and the auto rental marketplace provider Toro. They've been floating around for a couple of years already. They're practically IPO grandfathers. They're potential candidates. Panera Bread confidentially filed to go public recently, as did Chinese fashion retailer Sheen. But there's still a valuation problem here. Many former tech unicorns, those with valuations over a billion dollars, have suffered massive haircuts and now worth a lot less than they were a couple of years ago. No longer even qualifying as unicorns for many. It's just easier to stay private. That may be a, a potential reason why we're not going to see as many IPOs. So the bottom line, it's still a long slog to a robust IPO market. And we're going to have to see continuing lower rates, a bounce in small and mid-cap markets, and some decent performance from small and mid-sized IPOs before we get some really big companies coming back in, even in 2024. I'm Bob Pisani, CNBC Business News. M&A activity fell to the lowest level in 10 years in 2023, according to data from DealLogic, with high rates and a challenging economic climate weighing on deal-making. Thomas Smale joins us now, the CEO of FE International. Thank you very much for joining us. I want to get into what 2024 looks like. We are setting up for potential rate cuts from the Fed, from the ECB, from other central banks. Will that flush out some M&A activity or is it just the opposite? Because we're getting to the point where companies are talking about high credit costs, stretched balance sheets, we're now forced into some sort of discussions. So they're catching some sort of reprieve if we're talking about rates coming down. I think it will definitely help. So what we've already seen in 2023 is it's actually been quite a busy year for M&A, particularly the second half of the year. And obviously we haven't even finished the year yet, so... Straight after this, I fly back to New York. We have a deal closing tomorrow, so still constant activity. Um, a lot of buyers have been sat around somewhat patiently waiting for rates to either 
stop increasing or begin to decrease again. So many transactions we see are funded with a combination of equity and debt, so they're very sensitive to interest rates. So at least what we're expecting is if rates are coming down or even just stable for a little while, that's definitely going to help encourage activity at all, all deal levels. Talk to us about the funding environment, given where rates have been and also the consequences of the regional banking crisis in the US from earlier this year. What does lending look like, by and large, across the banks? So I think banks have certainly got more conservative. I think when we look to banks like First Republic and some of the other issues, particularly in the in the US, that definitely caused a little bit of a slowdown for a while, where people started to be a little bit more kind of conservative with how they were lending. Um, but ultimately, in the US at least, there's $4 trillion of dry powder with private equity firms. So if you actually look at how deals are really getting done, the majority of it is with those kind of dry powder needs to be deployed by these private equity firms. So yes, interest rates are important, but it doesn't mean deals can't happen if interest rates are increasing. So if you wanted to go to a bank to get funding, yes, that was a little bit more difficult. But I think if you want to get deals done, if you want to buy a great business, then there are ways you can get that that funded. And that's never really changed in hundreds of years. Yeah, one would have thought, though, that the tech companies especially, um, in, in sort of seeing the valuations that we have seen, would want to get into a little bit more deal making, maybe getting into next year, shoring up uh, their investments, growing even uh, better as businesses, perhaps, you know, streamlining some manufacturing processes or whatever the case might be. But you reckon that they'll actually not want to part with, with much of their capital. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think companies will still be doing deals, but I think regardless of what's happening in the market, if acquisitions are part of your strategy, you still need to be buying good businesses. You don't just deploy capital or buy businesses just for the, the sake of it. If you're not buying, it's the same with any kind of investing. If you're not buying the right assets or the right businesses, it's not going to be a, a great strategy for you. So I think deals will still be happening. I mean, we see a real mix of private equity firms, public companies, kind of private companies that have raised funding doing acquisitions. There's a real broad range. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say there's kind of going to be an increase or a decrease in a certain area. It's just going to be, yeah. I think, overall a pretty good year for everyone. Is, is, it a, is it a story of falling valuations that create a, a better M&A activity market? Or is it just really just fundamentals ultimately changing, as we have noted, perhaps dropping interest rates, uh, a, a lower inflation market, etc.? Yeah, it's not necessarily falling valuations as, su- as such, because I'd say the, the average seller or founder of a business, let's say you're selling a company for $200 million, your expectations don't necessarily change that much between different market cycles. Um, there's definitely a, a little bit of that now where maybe sellers are becoming a little bit more realistic. So you're getting way more deals where buyer and seller are going to be close on valuation expectations. Um, interest rates help if they decrease just because there's more buyers in play who can then use debt as part of the, the transaction. If interest rates are high, then you're either relying on large public companies who have billions of dollars on their balance sheet or you're relying on private equity firms who have dry powder um, but they can't necessarily use debt because it's too expensive the numbers don't pencil particularly at some of the higher valuations we saw in 2020 2021 it was regardless of how you played around with your numbers on your model or your spreadsheet it was impossible to get it to work with high what well, low interest rates when it comes to those big public companies, the ones with the deepest pockets are the technology companies. And there have been many, many years where a lot of startup technology companies have been trying to get to the point where they're on Google's radar for an investment or a takeover opportunity. So we're sort of cashing in on all that hard work. What's changed now with AI? Do you see Microsoft, Google being as acquisitive as they've been in the past? 
I definitely think they have been. I mean, a lot of the transactions we're working on at the moment, so we have three transactions going to market in the first two weeks of January. All three of them have an AI component or would be heavily AI related. Um, and some of the buyers we'll be reaching out to would be companies like Microsoft, Google, whoever it might be to see if it's a good fit for, for them. Um, but I think if you're a company like Microsoft, it's a great way to kind of accelerate your growth. You can kind of get into an industry quite quickly by making acquisitions like that. Um, so I'd say yes, but also as a founder or a business owner, you have a lot of different options to exit rather than just selling to a big company. There's not just, every company has multiple acquirers. It's not just three people out there or three companies out there who could buy you. And I can see you've got ed tech and digital media businesses, some of the areas on the radar. Thank you very much for joining us today. Great to see you and hopefully we'll see more of you in 2024. Thomas Smale with us, CEO of FE International.